in modern law enforcement is they give you what's called the force continuum. Your department has a force continuum and how it's mapped is it's basically, and I remember this from the police academy, it's basically like a circle and it goes, you know, let me see if I get this, it goes like this, right? You start here and that's, uh, I'm, I'm on the scene. I've arrived. I'm in uniform. I've arrived and I'm giving you a lawful order. That's number one. That's the first part of the force continuum. If the subject that you're dealing with refuses, you move to the next one. That's um, uh, pepper spray or taser, non-lethal. Uh, or the next one is baton. Then it's hands-on. Then it's firearm. So what ends up, what, what you're basically being taught is you escalate in the, the necessary range that your opponent or that your subject is escalating. The problem is what people do is they don't know what they're doing. They get scared and they go right to grabbing somebody and they're, the guy doesn't want to get handcuffed. And so he hides his hands and then the policeman's punching him in the back of the head to try and get the hand. It just, and again, it's like. Kind of like we're on the, uh, we're not on the back nine. I think was the analogy, but like we're definitely approaching the clubhouse. This is Retired Bros with Alex Simon. Is this being broadcasted? Like, is this going to be broadcast somewhere? Or is this... We talk bro culture. You know, guys getting together, not for uh-huh. nefarious purposes, but for uh-huh. uh, just being stupid dudes. Obviously, college, you're, that's your, probably your peak, bro. Maybe some of us are retired. <laughs> We're changing our relationship with alcohol. As we uh, as we age with beauty, it gets a lot easier not drinking because, I don't know about you, but the, the next day and the effects, just they're not worth it. No more beer? No more beer. Tore my stomach really? in pieces. Yeah. You remember the yeah. movie The Revenant? Yeah. That's what my stomach is like on beer when the grizzly bear attacks. We talk sports. You were alive and aware during this time period, you think Michael Jordan is the best. If you're like five years younger than us, you think it's LeBron James. It's time to make a deposit and invest in some retired bros. Now that I'm out in the world making a good living, I'm happy. My boss is like, well, there's yeah. no official work from home policy, so we're gonna yeah. have to ask you to get in as soon as possible. I'm just getting in there to sit at my desk to return emails, so it's just like, right. I, I mean, the, the power of the internet is that I can do this from home. I mean, I think Tim Duncan yeah. is 39 or 30 is 40, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, not that far off. So I mean, just, I'm no scientist just, either, I'm just, I'm just an idiot yeah, with hands. You can't fail to keep trying. Right you are, Chris Gerke. Right you are. Let's start the show. Getting off the MMA UFC banter here. But you mentioned after the George Floyd video came out that more cops should know BBJ. I've heard other people talk about this. Uh, Jocko Wilnick actually on Joe Rogan's podcast said that, that they should train uh, jujitsu. Um, so just talk about like the the advantage of that and like how law enforcement could be better equipped if they were trained in this martial art. Yeah, I think that's a really cognizant point, especially in light of what's going on in this country. Um, I, I feel like I have a pretty good platform because I, 
I'm a former police officer um, for, I was uh, a St. Louis police officer in the city of St. Louis for six years. Um, so I've arrested a lot of people. I've handcuffed a lot of people. I've had a lot of people resist arrest. Um, I never knelt on anybody for nine minutes and murdered them. Um, I, there's a lot of factors to why that happened. I don't know, presume to know all of them, but I will tell you that in a lot of these encounters that I've seen, you are dealing with, you are watching policemen dealing with someone and they are not physically trained to, to control this person. So what they end up doing is they resort to violence on the force continuum. So, and we're going to probably to get this down because I could talk about this all day. When you're in the police academy, first of all, you learn defensive tactics, which is like kind of a crash course in fighting, right? There's some like grappling stuff, but it's mainly like, here's, here's how you use your baton. You strike him in the leg with your baton. Uh, you strike him in the arm with your baton. Here's how you spray the pepper spray. This is how you use the taser. This is how we handcuff. It's very um, rudimentary or maybe not rudimentary, but it's very baseline, right? Because you have to dumb it down for the lowest common denominator. Everyone who's a cop is not in shape. They are not willing to learn. Cops aren't paid enough. We don't train them enough. We don't hire the best people. That's a big part of this. But one of the things that that I think is most apparent in, in having trained jujitsu is that it is all about control. And if you are trained, if you are dealing with someone who knows how to control you, they can control you without hurting you. That is what jujitsu basically is. That's why you can spar, roll all the time is because I'm not hurting you. I'm not punching you in the face. This isn't like kickboxing where it's like, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to spar. We're going to actually strike each other. We're going full speed in jujitsu, but we're not hurting each other because I'm not hitting you. And if it hurts, I tap. Oh, that's too tight. That, that, that choke's too tight. I, I, I give up. That's what tapping is. So a lot of what, um, you know, this that you see, I think, in, in modern law enforcement is they give you what's called the force continuum. Your department has a force continuum. And how it's mapped is it's basically, and I remember this from the police academy, it's basically like a circle. And it goes, you know, let me see if I get this. It goes like this. Right? You start here. And that's, uh, I'm, I'm on the scene. I've arrived. I'm in uniform. I've arrived. And I'm giving you a lawful order. That's number one. That's the first part of the force continuum. If the subject that you're dealing with refuses, you move to the next one. That's um, uh, pepper spray or taser, non-lethal. Uh, or but the next one is baton. Then it's hands-on. Then it's firearm. So what ends up what, what you're basically being taught is you escalate in the, the necessary range that your opponent or that your subject is escalating. The problem is what people do is they don't know what they're doing. They get scared and they go right to grabbing somebody and they're the guy doesn't want to get handcuffed. And so he hides his hands and then the policeman's punching him in the back of the head to try and get the hand. It just, and again, it's like, I mean, I remember watching this race, the Rayshard Brooks video, which came out a couple of weeks ago. The, the guy who was shot, he disarmed the police officer, took the taser, was running away, shot the taser back at him. Both of those policemen at one time are grabbing that guy. And if, if, the, if the one policeman who kind of has him in like a headlock, if he had taken two weeks of jujitsu, he would have put, Seatbelt grip over the shoulder. He would have put both hooks in, which means he would have put one one heat hip, one foot on either hip, 
kind of your heels basically in the pockets of this person, controlled the guy, and that would have been it. It's over. The other guy handcuffs him. It's done. There are just so many little things about control, non-lethal, non-pain compliant control that jujitsu offers that that police departments just bypass and people don't train and they don't know what they're doing. And then what ends up happening is they revert to their level of training, which is very little. So they do what they, what they think they should do, which is, well, I gotta, I've got to beat this guy because I can't let him get away. So I'm going to hurt him until I get what I want. And it's just poor training and bad application. And jujitsu removes all of that. The other thing is the last point on that is one of the things that, that jujitsu does that police need, I think, is you are in close contact with someone, grappling contact. They are grabbing your clothes. They are trying to choke you. If you're rolling consistently, you're, that's happening to you every day in jujitsu. That happens on the street, I don't know, every three or four months where you have someone resisting arrest and it's really scary because it never happens. And you're like, holy shit, this guy's, in, this guy's not listening to me. He, he's not going to let me handcuff him. Oh my God, he, he's trying to fight with me. You're stunned. But if you were training, that would be something you'd be like, oh, I've, I know that I need to keep my weapon retention. I can't lose my firearm. I need to be safe here. But I've dealt with someone trying to, to get out of my control every day at jujitsu. This is no big deal. I can go right to neon belly. I can go right to side control and go to the handcuffing position from here. I can go to the seatbelt grip. There's just dozens of things you could, that we could do to train these guys and we just don't do it. And that's what you, you end up seeing a lot of these results I think are, are a part of that on top of all the societal issues that we're having bad people that are policemen. I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse these things and say, Oh, it's bad training. But I do think that training would definitely de-escalate a lot of these things. It just would. Right. So I want to touch on, you know, this, this other point that's been going on in uh the country today which i'm my you know professional job is really in large part marketing right pr and marketing and from a marketing perspective i understand i you know i understand people's feelings and i understand um campaigns and issues um but from a marketing perspective and I've done a little bit of research, this defund the police trademark. It's not ideal. If I was like in a marketing person, I'd say, okay, that's, then you talk to somebody that, that, or the, the movement, I think that wants to defund the police. Well, we don't really want to defund the police. It means reinvesting. Well, then don't say defund because that's not what what somebody hears and what's what their gut reaction. So, um, you know, obviously a lot of these police budgets, you know a lot about this stuff. I don't want to go super granular into budgets and unions and all this type of stuff. But like using that example of the jujitsu uh, training, you could repurpose re-invest, uh, reinvest, really, that's what it is. It's a reinvestment, but investing wiser into some of, the, some of these police departments and the actual boots on the ground, the cops on the ground um, with training and um, I think have a lot better outcomes uh, in the country. Yeah, I mean, I, that was very articulate. I 
I agree. Um, yeah. So you said boots on the ground. That's an, an unfortunate. That's an unfortunate yeah. um, dovetailing of what I think is a problem with our police departments, which is they're militarized. They yeah. should not. Uh, they're, they're militarized, and and I think you said this. They're everything. They're the psychotherapist. Yeah. They're the social justice worker. They're you know child custody. They're you know also dealing with you know child um, psychology and issues, and you know children are looking in a way looking up to the cops. So yeah, I mean just so much. So to go back to your your original kind of kickoff of this 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 question, the defund the police thing. Um, you're 100 right. It's a stupid, stupid slogan. And I don't say stupid because the idea is dumb. I actually think the idea is exactly what should happen. But what? And I don't want to get too left here. Yeah. Uh, but what what we're what we're doing when we say defund the police, without explaining it. And having that be kind of the catchphrase, it's like, just do it, Nike. No one asks you to explain, just do it. They're like, oh, just do it. Okay, Nike. Defund the yeah. police. Get rid of the cops. No, that's not what defund the police means. Defund the police means quit giving. It, it means reallocating a lot of the funding that goes to law enforcement. Take that money and allocate it, put it towards social services and community development that will assist in the entire landscape of curtailing or um, changing the crime of a, of a, of a region, of a city, of a township, whatever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean defund the police doesn't mean get rid of them. No cops, the purge, because that's what the ultra right and the conservatives and everyone is saying, Oh, you, you don't want any cops around. What's who's going to come to my house when my house is getting broken into. It's like, well, I can see why you're saying that you obviously haven't read into this because you would know that that's not what the message is, but it's unfortunate that the slogan is so polarizing and not explanatory. It just, it, it takes the wind out of that being a viable option, in my opinion. I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of leads into what you were just saying, which is cops are, are kind of the catch-all. And really since the, the Reagan administration, um, police have basically become the answer to societal problems. We're not going to be having um, mental health facilities paid for anymore. Reagan got rid of all of that. Um, uh, homelessness is a major problem because we don't support the homeless. But all of those, you know, uh, custody battles and welfare and all of these, all of these societal issues that are, that are basically, um, you know, going on in major cities around the, around the United States, what we've done is we've made the police officer the answer to that. Hey, there's a homeless guy. All right, we'll call the cops. No, what we should right. do is fixing the homeless problem. Hey, this guy's crazy. There's a crazy guy on the street. Well, I'll call the police. No, this person needs help. He needs psychoanalysis. He needs, he doesn't need a, someone showing up with a pistol. That's not what this is. And, you know, that's so many of these check on the well beings or, um, you know, child dispute that that's not a police officer's job. They're not trained for it. They can't handle it. Most of them. And what ends up happening is you bring someone who is accustomed to dealing with crime into a, a situation that is not a crime. It's a societal problem that we need to address with societal funds, funds that go towards those towards propping up and enhancing those 
community problems, making these right. communities better. And what we're doing is we're not. We're just mowing down these communities with cops. Cops aren't equipped. Dude, when I was a policeman, most of the calls you go on, when you are in a patrol car, you are a radio officer. You are a police officer in uniform in a radio car. It means you are answering the radio. The dispatcher comes across and says, open 911 call or burglary prior or robbery in progress. Most of the calls you are going on, they are not police related. They just are not. There are some that are that are crimes that have occurred in the past. You know, oh, I came home, my door got kicked in. Okay, that's a burglary. The police should respond to that. But most of what you deal with is quality of life, societal issues, disturbance here, or check on the well-being there, homeless problem here. Um, counterfeit 20. Oh, God. Counterfeit 20. This guy's counterfeit, dead. To, count, count, counterfeit 20. And then I think, yeah. I guess, Garner was loose cigarettes. Loose cigarettes. Yeah. Not a police matter. I'm sorry that the police should not respond to that. That is a misallocation of funds. It is a bad use of manpower. Loose cigarettes. Get the fuck out of here. You know, I mean, the you know, this is getting we're going to get really political here and I and we can cut this off or we don't have to put this part in, but the war on drugs, dude, it doesn't work. Arresting addicts, arresting users and putting putting them in prison does not solve the problem. They continue to stay addicted and they get out and they reoffend. And by reoffend, I mean they go buy more drugs cuz they're addicted to them. And instead of supporting right any sort of rehabilitation in this country, what we do is we criminalize it to the point that these people just cycle in and out of prison. That's all they do. That's all they do. Now, right. there's a lot of violence that goes along with illicit drugs. I think that's a problem. I don't have the answer for that. I'm not, I don't have the answer for all of this stuff. But I do think, look, in my opinion, in being in a very violent, crime-ridden um, drug city in St. Louis City, uh, when I was there, when I was a policeman there, at times it was the most dangerous city in the, in the United States based on, you know, murder per capita and all those things, violence, shootings, all that stuff. A lot of it's drug related. But, man, you just arrest people, you know, for a little bit of heroin. I'm not saying it should be we should. Oh, let's let them do it. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, we've sent we've spent so much money and have spent sent so many addicted people to prison who are not violent, but they just happen to be addicted to a hardcore illegal drug. And instead of rehabilitating them, we just run them through the system. And they are just constantly, the system is a revolving door for them. They get out, they, they, they get caught with drugs, they go to prison. They get out, they get on put on parole, they reoffend because they're addicted, they get more drugs, they go back to prison. They get out, they get put on probation or parole. It's just, that's their life. And that happens to millions of people in this country. And it doesn't need to because it's not working. It doesn't work. So the defund the police thing is right. The, their core problem is they're addicts. Yes, they're just they're just drug addicts. Right. And putting them in a facility that is there to house violent criminals is not the answer. It just isn't. Yeah. Rehabilitation. And then I, I I listen to some of the. You know, I listen to as I talked with you about. I listen to Wes Watson, and he talks about how much drugs there are in the California penal system. Yeah, like the drugs are in the jail. Right. They're because not we, getting dry there. You know why? Because those people are so addicted. They're like, we will come up with any way that we can get our addiction fulfilled because it's it's a whole, taking a hold of us. Having us putting me in prison doesn't do anything. I'm still going to get high. I'm I'm an addict. I need. Help yeah. 
addiction. It's just there's a lot to yeah. that. But yeah. Yeah, man, the defund the police thing, you know, I think but reinvesting or rethinking what the police look, if, I was in charge, if I was in charge and 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 there's I'm sure who you know whatever number of listeners may listen to this podcast and be like, this guy's a total quack. He's a moron. They may be right. But I will say like, you know, I don't have all the answers and I'm not, I'm not putting out a hypothesis here that I know what I'm talking about. But if it was me, I would look at things and say, all right, we spend this amount, X amount of dollars on, on police officers a year. A lot of those, a lot of their work, needs to be shifted to other agencies, even if we have to create them, whether we're creating, we're sending social workers on calls for, for family disturbances, or we're, we're creating rehab facilities, and we're having mental health professionals respond to calls for people that have mental health problems. So what I'm going to do is take those, I'm going to reduce my force, I'm going to pay the officers that are here more money. And by reducing my force, I mean, if you have problems, if you have complaints, and you are a problem, you won't be a police officer anymore. So I'm going to be more competitive in retaining and hiring good people. I'm going to pay them more. I'm going to train them better. And they're going to go on more calls that are related to their job mm -hmm. as opposed to, well, they're just going to catch everything, everything that comes out. You know, what's you know that it is. I think they're going to be happier. Right. Right. Like Which you are. I, I don't. Yeah. You're, you're not allowed to. And I, I'm not sure if this is a if this is federally mandated, if it's a state thing. But I know that in my agency, when I was there, you were not allowed to to disregard a call. If someone called nine one one, you were getting a police response. It could be a nine one one hang up. It could be a nine one one saying "fuck the police." You are getting a someone is coming over. That is just the rule. So all anybody who dials nine one one gets a cop. The problem is a lot of the times those people don't need police assistance or. What they're calling about is not a police matter. So why are the police going on it? And why are those people? Then you break it down even further. The police are going on these calls. Maybe they don't need to be there. You got cops that aren't good at de-escalating things. Maybe they have power problems. They shouldn't be the police. They get there. They agitate people. It starts a fight. There's a confrontation. You got cops beating on people or somebody beating on them. It's like, whoa, this didn't even need to happen. This was all for nothing. What are we doing? What are we doing? This needs to, we need to pull back and re-examine what policing is in the in the modern United States, and it's not what's happening now. That this is not working. It does not work. This does not work. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I hope it changes, and and I would love to see. You know, if you work a uh, eight day shift, in my opinion, you should train one of those days. One of those days, if you're yeah, if you're, one of those days should be eight hours of training, or maybe it's one hour each day, one hour whatever. There should be some sort of training every day. Dude, when I was in the academy, what once you get out of the academy, it's even worse. What you have, and, and I don't have any this stuff in front of me, I could look it up, but the in-service training that's required by the state is like something like 16 hours or something per year. So basically what ends up happening is you go to whatever that is, two four-hour sessions every other month for a couple of months here and there, and they're like, okay. We, here's how you do the stick. You swing the stick like this, X pattern. That was a big thing, swing the stick. Okay, we're done with defensive tactics. That's your training for, for this quarter. No shit. It's like, what do we, what? Nothing, none of this works. But that, that way, the agency can say, hey, look, we trained him. He passed the training. It's on him. What do you want us to do? 
it's a broken system. Right. So outside of like uh, rolling and jujitsu, what are some other things that you think could be implemented in training? Like um, just like de-escalating situations. I mean, what else could be like standardized kind of training? You think? Um, I mean, some of it I think is you need to hire the right people and then and then enhance those people's already inherent interactive abilities. If that makes sense. So let me break that down even further. One person might be more more one person might be more prone to like be an investigator. Yes, exactly. Yes. One person might be pr more prone to being you know, a technician. They're into they're they they like the lab stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and also, even more than that, is you just there needs to be a more stringent ability to say this person is not cut out for this job because that job is if you cannot talk to people who are agitated, who are disrupted, who are in a state of um, alert or distress, you can't do that job. So if you have a, a, a bad temper, hair trigger person who's they can't do that job. They just can't. And no amount of training is going to make them better. Right. So that's a big part of it. If you're a, not someone who's naturally good at like, and I don't know how you, that's one of those things. Like, I don't know how you find that out. You just have to have a really good, a really good screening process, I guess. But some of the other training needs to be de-escalation. It need that job is talking to people. And it's usually talking to people who don't like you because you're the police or because they're having the worst day of their life. Even if their house got broken into, maybe they're the victim of a nonviolent crime or they got in a car wreck. Their interaction with you is shitty. Yeah. Somebody, yeah, somebody said, um, we're starting off on, you know, the wrong foot as soon as I show up. You're, you're already, as you said, this is probably not a good day for you if I'm right. If they're a vendor, they don't want to see me because they don't want to go to jail. If they're a victim, they don't want to see me because this is horrible and they've been a victim of a crime. I already I show up to every interaction with a gun. Like it's just that is a big part of it, is that you have to have empathy. That is what I think a lot of people, cops, policemen, that police women that I have seen lately, that I used to work with, what what there was a big where I could tell there was a problem. And I wasn't perfect, but I was successful at that job. I was good at that job. I did a good job where, where I could, where I could see a, a pathway to success was being empathetic with the person that you're dealing with. Even if you're totally different than them and they hate you, you have to have some empathy for another human being. And if you don't have it, or if that's been washed out of you, or you've been numbed to it because that job is numbing and dehumanizing, you, they, you know, take some time off. They need to recycle out. Maybe that's what it is. It's just like tours mm -hmm. of employment. Maybe that's, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. But the way we do it doesn't work, man. It does not work. And yes, there are millions of interactions with, with between law enforcement and civilians every day that don't end in violence, that don't end in crime, and they're fine. But there are far too many where, that, that do and that, that seem to be avoidable. That's that's really what it is to me. They just seem mm -hmm. to be avoidable. Whether it's whether it's policemen getting killed because they're not trained or not empathetic, or it's the other way around. I mean, you know, both sides. 
both sides of that is just we're not properly equipping these people and the system just doesn't seem to work. Huh. So building empathy. Yes. Yeah. I think that's huge. I think, I think it has to be inherent and there's some people that it just, they just aren't going to get it. And you need to be able to say, this person is not right for this job. They cannot do this job. But that is, I think the, a trait de-escalation is great and saying, oh, I understand you're upset and all the key words of de-escalation, I'm sure you've read verbal judo and stuff like that. Those are all good tools. You know, there are tools, there is a pathway to de-escalate a situation, a volatile situation. But it, I think it starts with being empathetic with the people that are in the situation. you got to be empathetic because if you're not, it's just going to be hollow. If you're like, this guy doesn't give a shit. He's just here as he has to be here. He doesn't give a fuck. So. Where do you think this... Uh this this time that we're living in ends how do you think between this the uh you know professional some of these um rioters i said professional writers because i writers because i saw somebody's twitter account said that they were right like that was their professional protester that's what this you know, I, and I, I don't want to, and, and look, I don't want to go, you know, too far into this, but it's about time for some protests. I, I honestly, I get it. You have people cooped up for three months because of coronavirus. They watch these three horrific uh, deaths of African-American people. People should be pissed off. And 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 go to the streets and uh, leading up to all of this stuff that's been going on, the middle class slowly been taken away. Uh, you know, terrible leadership in politics. Uh, more, less for them, and more for um, I think the business class. So, like, I get it. It's time. It's about time for some protests. But. Um, Specifically, right now, I think you're seeing a lot of protester, protesters the police. Where do you think, do you think it goes on for the rest of the year? And then that's my first question. And then my second question is, do you think the response is more like what we were talking about, where it's a reinvestment or rethinking of what the police should be? Or is it like a doubling down of like, you know, uh, militarized police? It's a great question, man. Um, do I think it continues? I think it will kind of stay beneath the surface until there's another incident that's on camera, which probably between now and the end of the year, there'll be a handful. And then I think it'll spike again. And I I, I don't see why it wouldn't. I think people are on edge. You've uh, also got a lot of unemployed people. Got a lot of, yeah, absolutely. So, yep. And those people are, there's unrest already. Um, as far as what the response is, first of all, I don't think the response has been correct from the police at all. Um, I think it's somewhat of a paradox. There's a little bit of a catch-22 with some of these actions that are taken by the protesters, and I don't really know how to handle some of that. Um, I think that's tough. You're putting the police in a tough spot. Um, if people block Interstate 35, what do you do? Do you do nothing? Do you let them stand there and block a major artery of traffic throughout this country? 
Or did you say, okay, folks, we're asking you to move. You're not moved. We're going to move you. I kind of see the logic there. I don't know how you can't do that. Um, I would like to see a little more of an organized protest response to where it is. There is just no coloring out outside the lines. It is exactly we're we're getting permits. We are getting police escorts. I mean, I, I was in the, the Austin Black Lives Matter march. I went down and we marched in it. You know, there were like 25,000 people in it and they did it properly. They they took a four lane street and got police escorts. It was shut down for several hours. Like that was a good thing. That was there was no problems. So that I think is good. Look, man, I think, you know, not to be all doomsday, but this election in November is along with climate change, uh, you know, freedom of speech, abortion rights, um, just the erosion of democracy in America on the line. This is a, the huge thing that's on the line because if if Donald Trump is reelected, I think it gets I think it gets worse. I think you see just the boot heel slamming down on civilians on this stuff. If he doesn't, and it's Joe Biden, I think there's a chance that you start to see some dialogue towards reimagining police departments, which is still going to be tough to do. But if he doesn't, if he loses, if Donald Trump is reelected, nothing matters. None of this matters. Nothing that people are talking about now, nothing that they are saying, none of the systemic racism that is a clear and obvious problem in this country that some people refuse to acknowledge, none of that redlining, the Homestead Act, the New Deal, the GI Bill, all of those things negatively affected African-Americans in this country. Black people were fucked in, in this country by those things. And white people were favored. The police, policing, the policing is an arm of the government that is designed to oppress black people. It just is. And I was part of that. But it is. That's what it is. And none of those things, even though they are all true, and all of the strides that have been made, even in the last couple of weeks with this terrible murder of George Floyd and everyone being galvanized by it and shocked and horrified. And, you know, I feel like this is very different than it used to be even in 2014 with kind of the whole Black Lives Matter start, the, the conversation being started, which I feel like you are getting way more partnership with white people saying, wow, I never thought about systemic racism and now I recognize it and I want to be a part of the solution. I think that's huge, especially in our age range and lower. But if Donald Trump is reelected in November, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. This will all be just lit on fire because he will smash all of these things, all of the strides that we are making now, all of that stuff, he will slam the door shut. The only reason he hasn't done it yet and I think he's tried, obviously, this Lafayette Park bullshit. He tried, and, and it it does not look – it is not a good look for him, right? He is getting roundly rejected for this stuff. His response, obviously, COVID, the economy's in the, in the tank. His COVID response has been ridiculous. You know, all of this stuff. But I think this response to the to – the, this police response to the Black Lives Matter outcry that he has been – you know, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, which is basically a racist – uh, rant that the mayor of Miami gave, <coughs> excuse me, in 1967 during the Republican convention because they were trying to make sure black people didn't protest it. I mean, that's a dog whistle. That's a racist dog whistle. That type of rhetoric is just going to get amplified if he's reelected. So to me, it's, 
I think we can make some changes. But now if Donald Trump gets a second term, it's over. It's mm -hmm. over. I think people, you know, I think people just want to see action. I think that's what they're they're looking to see some sort of reform. Pass yeah. something, do something. Something happened here. We want to see some sort of action. Yeah. And I think that's all they're they're really looking for. One of the things they're looking for, they're looking for systemic change, which is harder than just passing a bill, but Right. They you got to do something. And, well, that, and that's really that's why people are getting more frustrated and going back out on the streets and like continuing this is why this hasn't just gone away, why it's not some, you know, um, kumbaya coffee house, as somebody used to say, you know, peaceful protest. This is right. like, no, we want action here. And if we don't see action, we're going to continue. There's no curbing of uh, like even an attempt to curb. I mean, my states passed some some say their name legislation, which was okay, so police reform. But dude, that's, that's they want they want action. That's your that's a good point though, and that, that's what I think people don't realize is that there is no national. The federal government does not control local municipal police departments. They just don't. Now, should they? Should they? And will they? Once Joe Biden is president. Will they be mandating or su heavily suggest suggesting reform? Yes. And those are tied to incentives and tax increases and breaks and things like that. But they can't tell, you know, the city of Minneapolis, hey, this is, you need to defund, we're defunding your department. They don't have that authority. The federal government does. Now they do, and I can't remember what this is called, so I'm going to sound like an idiot here, but if there is a complaint filed with, I think the, with an inspector general, I think, I don't know how this comes up, but basically if there was enough civil rights violations by a police department, the federal government will come in and they will take over the department and they will mandate those things to happen. And it's happened. So it's happened. It happened a lot under Obama. It happened a lot under George W. Bush. It does not happen under Donald Trump. Obviously, of course not. But so the point is, they can't make, I think people think there's like this sweeping bill that we can pass police reform. It's like, it doesn't really work that way because police departments are so local, even small towns, they don't have to listen to the federal government on this stuff. They don't have any authority. It's not a federal, they, that's, I mean, one of the things that people um, used to say all the time is who's the most important investigator in the, in the United States. It is the homicide detective investigating a murder because no one from anywhere else can investigate that crime. The feds can't. They don't investigate murder. They can investigate a firearms violation or a civil rights violation or they don't investigate murder. Police do. So that's I think you're right. I think we need direction and guidance. That's really what we have right now is a complete vacuum, a void of leadership at the top. We don't have a, 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 a voice saying anything. We don't have a voice comforting people, showing empathy, as we talked about. We don't have any guidance or direction on, hey, we're putting together a police reform bill that's going to highlight some things that we're going to start making sure we implement. We don't have any of that. But we also, they don't really have the direct authority to do that. You know, they can't come in and be like, hey, Salt Lake City Police Department, we're the federal government and you're defunded. You're going to spend your money elsewhere. They don't get to do that. 
the voters have to decide if the city wants to do it, they can. So that's kind of the, the cascading problem. It's like, it's not just like this one big thing where it's like, hey, let's fix healthcare, which is a whole issue, right? But they can do it from the federal government. They can't do that with the police. Part of the problem. I think even though like a union coming out and saying, we're going to change the way we do invest internal investigations or the yep. way we do hiring, you know, the fact that you're just, people are, you know, a lot of it is so brazen. You're just, I just don't know, get why they wouldn't want to do it or try it. You know, to put my syndicate on, let's say you're a super hardcore conservative police department. I'm going to leave the police union and the hiring out because police unions, we can talk about them for a long time. That's a big issue. <clears throat> it's a necessary thing. I benefited from a police union. I was federally sued in a use of force complaint. I didn't have to hire an attorney. I didn't, I was exonerated as I should have been in my opinion. It was a normal resisting arrest, but that's because of a police union. So I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but at the same time, the police union is there to fight for jobs and to, to, to rehire fired police officers and to keep budget for police officers to be hired. So I don't even want to talk about that. But if you were the commissioner of a police department and people were outraged and they were like, defund the police, why are the police going on this stuff? Why We need to fix this. What's the harm in saying, well, let's try it. And if crime, if you de, if you start not sending as many police officers on police on calls and you're using that money somewhere else and you know, you're, you're doing, you're, you're working with community leaders to defund the police and put that money in social uh, programs or community-based building blocks for, for a healthy society and crime skyrockets, you can go to those people and be like, hey, I did what you, we tried it. It didn't work. Uh, you wanted to defund the police. We took cops off the street. We gave you some social workers. It didn't work. Now we're putting cops back on the street, but they're scared to do it because I think they think it might work. Just try it. Do it for a year. Do it for one year. See what happens. I mean, this can't, I know people talk about it. Camden, New Jersey did it. They did exactly. The police department was so corrupt. They were like, this department is dissolved and we are starting over. And they restructured how they did everything. They restructured their hiring. Crime plummeted, just tanked. So it can be yeah. done. It can be done. Dude, other Western, other Western European nations spend the millions and actually probably billions of dollars a year that some that we spend on the drug war, they spend those on rehab. They spend fractions of that on rehabilitation, drug user rehabilitation. And they don't have nearly the drug problem that we do. Like, why are we not trying this stuff? And then I think that's where you really get into, it ties into jobs and it ties into lobbying and it ties into, you know, prison, private prisons. Who needs private prisons? Well, if you got, if you're a private prison owner, which is a big, which is a thing in this country, private yeah. prison. Well, if you got no prisoners because we decriminalized marijuana, then your doors are open and that's no good, right? The only reason you're going to make money off of prison is if people are in it. So how do we keep people in prison? Well, we're going to make sure we lock them up for having a roach in their ashtray in the car. It's like, there's just a lot to it. And, you know, this is like, we could talk about, this could be our podcast, just talking about this. <laughs> Nuts. Yeah, and we started talking about shit, man. We started talking about jujitsu two hours ago, and Conor McGregor and Joe Rogan, and now we're talking about police reform, which is awesome. a, no, it was, it was, it, I like it. It's good. It's it's it was a natural. It was a thing that was in the back of my head because you mentioned the, you know, jujitsu, like right when George Floyd happened, 
Uh, yep. You mentioned like if that guy had any training, he would know that that's that he was sitting on his uh, you know, vagus vagus nerve or carotid artery, and he was one, not dude, getting blood to the one, brain. Number one, if he had any training, he would know he would have been in that position in a, in a position similar to that and been like, this isn't good. He would have been the victim of, of a lot of pressure, maybe not on someone's neck because that's not a real position that doesn't exist, but he, he would have done that in the tra in training and the, and the, uh, the teacher would have been like, okay, let's start, let's do that. To you and see what goes on. Right. It's not a real technique, but he would have felt pressure, right? He would have been choked. He would have had some neon belly is a, is a similar, it's basically that with the person on their, on their back and you have the, your knee on their stomach and you're basically their stomach is bearing your weight. So you're not, you're not killing this person. You're not cutting off any airways. It's just horribly uncomfortable. It's like literally having 200 pounds on your stomach. So that guy has never felt that number one. And number two, he knows that that's going to kill this person. He should know that that is going to kill this person. And the bystanders are telling you you're killing him. He's telling you, George Floyd is saying I, you're killing me. Like it's unbelievable. Yeah. Let, let alone right, right. The, the lack of humanity that this person had to do that. But he has no training either. No training. Doesn't know what he's doing. Should not have the badge and gun for a multitude of reasons, but isn't trained to be, even be out there on the street at all. Right. And he's probably going to do 25 to life for it. Deservedly. Yeah. Do you so. think the, uh, uh, other officers will do anything? It's tough, man. Um, the Asian guy, probably. Um, he's experienced and knows what's going on, and I think bears a lot of that. The other two, not as much. I know that the one guy, there's one of the two, the other two, who was, it was his third day. And he was like, hey, shouldn't we turn him over? Like, shouldn't we not have him in this position? Because I'll tell you what, they they train you that if you ever prone someone out, okay, prone them out, meaning they're laying horizontal on the concrete and they're handcuffed like this with their hands behind them. Because a lot of times if you arrest someone and they're being combative and you get them to the ground, they're on their stomach laying flat and you need their hands, you know, you're getting your hands behind them, right? If you ever put them in that position, you handcuff them, they tell you never, never leave that person laying face down. Because they could asphyxiate just from that, just because their hands are restrained and they're back up in their back, you always turn them over and sit them up. You sit them up on the ground. And so, I mean, I knew that as soon as I, that was like the first thing they show you. And that one of those policemen was like, hey, we should turn him over. Shouldn't we turn him over? He was a guy with like three days on. Should he have done more? Yeah, the guy, he shouldn't have let this guy die. Absolutely. Your number one goal is to protect life when you have that badge on. That is that is it. You're you're serving. You are a civil servant who is pr protecting life at, at the bottom, at the bedrock of what you're doing. So, yes, he should have done more, but he's in a bad spot. It's his third day. That guy's got 20 years on. He's probably like, I don't know, man. I've never arrested anybody. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I don't think that's right. And I said something and they did it anyway. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. But it's still like you can't let the guy die. Yeah. Dude, you got to say, hey, man, let, I'll tell you what. Let You go over to him and you say, let me take a turn. You know, I'll, I'll let control him. I'll, I'll, I'll relieve you. And then you sit the guy up. You, you got to. Otherwise, you shouldn't have this job. Again, shouldn't have the job. None of those guys should have that job. 
But the problem is there's many, many guys like that that should not have the job, whether it's because of their disposition, their personality, their their corruption of their personality and their soul and their spirit, their training level. I mean, there's just a multitude of reasons why they should not have those jobs. And those are four people right there that clearly shouldn't. The first guy who killed him, I think, is probably a not a good person, also not very well trained. The Asian officer clearly um, was okay just not being involved. Like, oh, well, okay. Hey, everybody stay back. But he's probably thinking, hey, I'm not the one doing it. I'm not hurting this guy. Mm-hmm. And the other two were too cowardly or not didn't have the courage to say that's not right. I know that's not right. And this person is telling you he you are killing him. I mean, I couldn't imagine hearing that. That's the guy's calling out for his mother who is dead. What more? Do you, I mean, obviously, you don't know that this person's mother, but like this is a grown man calling out for his mother. Pretty bad. And then you find out his mother isn't even alive. That's someone at the end of, I mean, the walls are closing in. His life is leaving him. Mm. That's pretty sobering. 